Welcome back. Welcome back to episode two. I'm so glad you came back to episode two of the Mad Valid podcast. I'm your host, Reina Erika. Good to have you joining us. Today, I wanted to interview someone that I hold very dear and who I've been bragging about since the first episode. Our producer, Brisa Arieli Munoz, is joining us today. I spent some time with Brisa talking about what it means to be an artist and what is an artist's role. Um... As we're getting to know each other better on this podcast, I thought it was important to delve into who I am as an artist and what that means and also thinking about how art is made and what that takes and what that means to the artist but also the person viewing the art and enjoying it. And today I really wanted to combat and put my foot down and say that you don't do anything by yourself. And this idea that I feel like the American media tries to push down our throats that you have to do it by yourself, that you pull yourselves up by your bootstrap, that you, 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 is not real and quite honestly unnecessary. Um, when I graduated from college, I was a teaching artist in Harlem, and I remember, you know, like creating theater with my young people and like trying to do a lot of original work um, and doing something called devising. Um, which is taking ideas from the participants and creating something or creating original work. Um, and I just felt like I didn't have the tools. Like I was struggling because I didn't know how to create in a way where I wasn't the absolute boss. I felt like in a lot of ways, the way that I've created theater in the past was like, you need a script, um, you need a director, everybody needs very clear roles right away and things need to happen in a very specific way and like, you know, actors are just vessels that I'm filling up with my ideas. They just have to do what I want, even though I was also an actor um, previously. And just feeling like that didn't work for me. That's not where I was. And it didn't feel like a humanizing practice or a way to really work with young artists and getting the most out of them. So I applied for graduate school because I'm a nerd and I really like school and I really wanted to go and get my master's. And But I was looking now very specifically for a program in which I could further my talents and skills as a teaching artist, but also continue to craft my skills as, my, as an artist myself. So I didn't want to stop performing or making art for me, um, but I also wanted to then incorporate skills and talents to work with young people. So I found the Master's in Applied Theater program at CUNY, and here's where I met Brisa. Uh, pretty much right away, our cohort was really small we'll share more about that in the interview but that's where I met Brisa and really started um, honing some of the skills of the artist that I am today so I wanted to interview Brisa because she comes from a completely different background is also a theater artist in the same way that I am and I wanted to have a conversation about what that takes what that looks like the work that it takes to be an artist and how important co collaboration is so, without further ado, let's kick off our second interview in the Mad Valid podcast. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you at the end for our favorite segment, or at least my favorite segment for right now. Hopefully, you guys will start sending us letters soon with some questions or ways in which you want to engage. We'll make sure to share the email in the bio. Anyways, without further ado, 
our second interview with Brisa Arielli Munoz. Welcome everybody to the second episode of the Mad Ballad Podcast. I am your host as always, Reina Erika, and today we have our fabulous producer extraordinaire, Brisa Arielli, who is joining us because like, you know me now, right, as an artist, human getting started, and now you have to get to know me as a person, right? Like, why are we doing this? What is our purpose? Who will you get to know? And no one better than the other person that I have asked to join me on this journey. Brisa, welcome to the show. What is up? What's up? I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. What a joy to be chatting with you about why we're doing this, what it's all about, and just glad to be talking it up with one of my dearest friends too. So thanks for bringing me Yeah. In. Thank you so much. Always hyping me up. Brisa's quite part of the peanut gallery giving mad love always. Always. So Brisa, <laughs> always. So I've been thinking of doing this podcast for over five years. And as I hope I've mentioned Ben before, but our, our sound guru, our technician, our everything, the man who puts this stuff together, right? Ben had started getting me on this way a long time ago. Then, you know, life happens, had a baby, all the stuff. And now we're back together. And when I was ready to get on this journey again, I reached out to Brisa and I said, are you still willing to produce my podcast? I was ready. I had been waiting for years for you to finally say, it's time to put my voice out there in the world. It's time to do this. I was so ready when you called. I was so hype. I was so nervous because, you know, it's like you don't want to waste anybody's time. You want to get real. Right. And like I was finally ready to be like, you know what? It's, it is what it is like. Yes, I'm afraid. Yes, I don't know. But I have ideas and I've been keeping these lists in my phone for years of like topics, ideas, things we could talk about. Um, and I just need it, you know? I remember, I think it might have been something like five years ago now, us sitting on the train and you introducing yeah. this idea. And so the fact that it's finally come to fruition, there is literally no one I would rather support to put their voice out into the world than you fellow Aquarius showing up in the world, knows what you think about the world, has often always known what you think about the world, even if other people don't agree. <laughs> Not true, but I do have very strong feelings about things. And that's for sure. Like when I feel something about something, it's real. I feel it. You know, it's not like I am one of those people. Like I feel I either don't feel any type of way about something or I feel All very clearly what I feel about something. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Brisa. Tell the people how we met, right? Let's take them to the beginning. Oh my gosh. We met in 2011. That's right. Oh my God. We met at graduate there, school. We, there was like an earthquake in New York City that first day we met, right? Or did we meet at like, the, did we meet at any of the like pre-auditions? I don't think so. I don't think you were at any of my auditions. Oh, we met at school. I think it may be the first orientation. We both got our master's at City University of New York. I was That's right, CUNY. But <laughs> That's right. I was moving across the country to be there. Reina had been here. And right. uh, and we met each other and realized we were both Aquarius and, you know, got an opportunity to work together. Our master's is in applied theater. Yeah, we were doing the uh, what what do they call it? Like the two-year track, which is another reason why we were able to be together so much. That's right. We full were not time. doing the part-time, full-time Full-time, yep. all the time. We were looking at the intersection between social justice and theater. And, you know. Two out of 12 people. 
right? Small program. Small program. But you know what? One of the only ones in the country at the time. And now I think the only one now um, that's a master's of arts in applied theater in this sort of intersecting form of social justice and theater making. Now, other programs have popped up that are about civic engagement and their relationship to art making or whatever. But there's something super unique about this program. Um, and I feel really set up as an artist in the world because because of it, because we got to meet because now you know, my dearest friends are also my dearest colleagues, you know? Yes. And now we get to really create art together, you know, and I, I visualize this and see this as an extension of our applied theater work, right? Because in everything that we do, we have to bring the work with us, right? Like, even when you think you're not being theatrical, yes, we're being theatrical, we're bringing our, you know, that lens to it, which is why we play so many games on our podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So as you all know, from our first podcast, from the first episode, uh, there's two things that must happen in every interview. So at one point, we will ask, what is that lesson that must be learned or that you've had to learn many, many times over? So that will happen at a certain time that Brisa will figure out now. And then at that moment, we'll just do it. And then we each have our line that we must use. Okay. Woo. Okay, I have my line. <laughs> Teresa's line and we are ready to roll oh, I love this <laughs> so Reina I'm gonna kick off this competition uh, no. and to talk about how two things can be true at the same time when I first met you I remember that one of the first comments that you told me was that you weren't sure you wanted to be friends <laughs> because you don't like having folks just leave you if they're coming from some other place and they're not going to stick stick around. Hi, everybody. My name is Raina and I've been to therapy and therefore I know my triggers. <laughs> Two things can be true at the same time because on one hand, I was so just like, all right, got it. Okay. You know, a little a little discouraged. And then on the other side, you know, we're both Aquarius, like so ready to take up the challenge. So ready yes. to be like, oh, yeah, OK. You think we're not going to be friends? OK, cool. Sure. You know, when I said it and I think about this a lot, actually, on this end, because I'm like, damn, you're so bold with people. How dare you tell somebody you just met that you like, right, that you want to be friends with, that you're nervous or you're hesitant to commit to a friendship with them because they're just here from Texas <laughs> to get their degree and they're going to dip after two years, right? Like when I met Brisa, like, you know, we're trying to find out like, where do people see each other next? Like what's going to happen? And Brisa didn't know she was going to stay in New York, right? She had already had a theater company in Texas that she had formed and was working on that she was still heading back home to on breaks and stuff to get that going. So to me, why would I, as like a New Yorker born and raised going to be here, be investing my time and being friends with people who were not going to be here after two years, right? Like, I already had my college friends. I already have my life friends, my high school friends, my elementary school friends, right? Like, my whole life is here. So one part of me is like, what? What? This is how you talk to people? And then my other thought was like, you know what? Like, that was my fear as well coming in, being like, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be left. And that really stems from my father leaving my mother. And that's just being 100 real. And while that was like a great thing in you know, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad my parents weren't together. Like, my stepdad is amazing. Like, my dad's been remarried. Like, our families are stronger and better for it. It still hurt, 
right? It hurt being, feeling like I was being left. One of the things that I feel like I've learned the most throughout our friendship is that even back then, you were so able to see what you needed, like, and name it, you know, dare to put out your boundary, right? I feel like I still have issues putting down my boundaries, right? I'm like watching it like, oh, look, here's a moment for me to put the boundary. Oh, uh, now it's kind of gone and I'm kind of not going to do it. You know, like it's like it's 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 a vulnerable thing to share your vulnerability. So I have to say that, you know, it's like I respected it deeply. Honestly, I respect honesty. It's like, okay, cool. Got it. I appreciate that. I don't know if other people could have taken it like that. And it wasn't like I said it privately either. Like our other friends also heard it. Everyone was, you know what I'm saying? Like we're with such a small class. Like there was literally 24 people get accepted into the program and like 12 do a part-time track of three years. And then the other 12 do the two-year track and you do take classes together. But at the heart of it, like it was only the 12 of us. And honestly, like I'm so close to like, I would say most people from that group of 12. So we were already um, engaging very deeply and having conversations. So like other people heard this and I would say for the majority, most people were not from New York. Yeah. I think also that, you know, our program called on us to practice our work a lot on our feet. You know, we were examining interactive activities, right. Um, to catalyze, you know, an issue or a moment or a story. Right. And so the, vulnerability that I think you create with the group of people who are like continuing to sort of like reflect on the world, right? We we talk a lot about Paulo Freire and, and his sort of pedagogical principles and this idea of praxis, right? This simultaneous action and reflection at all times. How are we showing up as citizens in our society? How are we showing up as artists in society? You know, that's not like, it's like you could go and get a math degree and like you might not be knowing each other as intimately as we, in some ways, our, our work bred ourselves to build deep relationships with each other because of it. I agree. I, I want the people to know that our master's is in theater for social change and activism is how I tell people about it, um, which means that Brees and I believe that theater can be a tool for change and that we can use theater to change the world and to change our relationships and to change anything we want. And I truly believe that. And we do practice that in our everyday lives. And I don't think that there's anything that we do, whether it's like actual theater being made or just working in an office with other people. I don't think there's a scenario where we don't try to bring those tools with us. And I agree. I think that being in a space of of constantly challenging oneself to be the best version of oneself, but also creating room for others um, that pushes you to be honest in that way. Right. And like ultimately, Brisa and I decided that uh, we were going to be friends. Um, and then Brisa did ultimately decide that she was going to stay in New York. I'm about to celebrate my 10 year, by the way, 10 years. You know what people, I forced Brisa to stay here is what she's saying. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds right. Yeah, exactly. I'm not leaving yet. Yes. And now I've allowed her to be tri-coastal, bi-coastal, all the things that she needs. So I would like Brisa to tell a little bit about herself, about what artistry she does and where she does her work and kind of where she sees herself. Um, as an artist, as you know, we've named this episode artist because we want to talk about our artistry and, you know, the challenges that come with that and the sacrifice that it takes, but also the joys, right? It, as Brisa said, two things can be true at once. And I want to be clear that to be an artist, you can don't let your pride kill you. You've got to put your pride to the side as an artist and do the fucking work, right? And just be vulnerable. 
So Brisa, tell us, how would you describe yourself as an artist? What's your title or all the cute stuff that people put in their emails and in their things? <laughs> all the things. Um, I identify as a, an artistic director, a theater director, a cultural worker, an educator, um, and I enjoy so deeply using theater as the vehicle to imagine new conditions for our country. You know, you know, you were saying it earlier, Reina, like, you know, we really do dream of a society that views artists as necessary stakeholders in the transformation of the conditions of the country, you know, and so many times when we think about mainstream theater in America, what are the first things that come to mind? You know, if you're someone who hasn't been exposed to the intersection between theater and education, right? For example, your only cultural reference point of theater might be cats, right? I mean, thank God now it might be Hamilton, which, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even have that. You know what I mean? So it's, it's interesting to call yourself a theater artist and still not quite be able to articulate easily to the masses what our work really looks like in practice because we have certain ideas of what we believe it to be because of how we see it play out in society, you know? So, you know, our work is, you know, I like to cite, uh, you, you talked about this earlier too, when you say like theater is everything, right? And even if we're not building a play, we're still, you know, I think theater is an opportunity to recreate our world. But then you have to ask yourself, well, why am I recreating the world, right? Am I recreating it just because it's fun? Am I doing it because I need an opportunity to, you know, express myself? You know, there's this, um, there's this indigenous um, author. Her name is um, Laura M. Evans. And she listed out all of these um, sort of interlocking spheres of performance and like what their purpose is. So I, I'm going to read it out just because I find it so stimulating. It's like the easiest way for me get to get into the conversation around what theater can do that's not just like put up a play. Yeah. So she says, here, here are the interlocking, here are the interlocking spheres that she sees that performance in general can, can provoke, right? So she, she calls it to exchange or gift, Right. So right now I feel like we are having our exchange and like what a gift it is, right, to be on your podcast, to be manifesting your visions, to be, you know, um, all of those things to stimulate the senses. You know, yeah. so I think about, you know, the work that one of our besties does, Sarah Morgulis, right? She works with folks with disabilities and on the autism guest, spectrum. Yeah, That's right. Future guest. And she's making participatory plays, you know, incorporating all senses so that young people across New York City can experience all the different boroughs of New York City, you know, by touching the sand like in their classroom of Coney Island or you know what I mean? So um, another uh, another sphere she talks about is to make or change identity. So I think a lot about what does it mean to be involved in a theater class, like I'm thinking about the work we do with Public Works, right? Public Works, which is a program of the public theater that, you know, partners with organizations all across the city to provide theater programming. And, you know, we've done work together with veterans, for example, right? Yes. Some of the best work I've ever done in my life. They are 
like literally the best actors I've ever known. That's right. And you think about like their identity as veterans and how that has created the rich space for vulnerability and sharing and artistic construction, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes we forget that like veterans are real people just like the rest of us. And I think for me, I like, I also forgot. And then I was with them and I was like, okay, like, thank you so much for this opportunity to view them as human. You know what I'm saying? And give them the opportunity to just be who they are, which is so talented. Because if you think about it, these are people who are veterans who are also actors. They wear multiple hats. Oh, God, I feel like I wish I had Reese's line because I'm like, two things can be true at once. <laughs> Whatever, we're just switching them off, you know? I can talk about how, you know, pride can really get you killed later, too. Um, <laughs> another one she says is to exercise culture or to create culture. And what that makes me think a lot about is how in everyday society, like where are the real spaces where we get to show up in community with people who are maybe very different than us that aren't our family, aren't our friends, aren't our church if you're religious, aren't our classmates if you go to school? Like where are there those really activated third spaces? And Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like the work that we do is always about trying to create like a new culture for spaces. Like, oh, we can actually talk to each other if we're all standing in line at, you know, who knows where, you know, City Hall, you know, like we can actually we can engage with each other. You know, the other ones she says are to deal with trauma, to heal, uh, to heal, to teach or to persuade. We're both educators doing that work with young people and all ages. To deal with natural and spiritual forces, I really appreciated that one. Because when you think about the United States, you're not thinking about how we're using theater to conjure natural or spiritual forces, but you think about other indigenous practices or practices around the world that, like, are dancing for the rain. Are dancing, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, let's, you know what I'm saying? I feel like religion is a lot of ritual and theatrics. Yes. Spiritual. That's right. That's right. The last two she said was, and I, I really appreciated her, like, pointedness about it. To deal with racism slash romanticism, which I thought was an interesting like parallel to put next to each other, racism versus romanticism. And she didn't use fetishism or anything like that, you know, like romanticism. I think that's, wow, that's a great list. Yeah. And then the last one was to engage in inter or intra-cultural critique, right? So like, here's an opportunity for us to talk about an issue that's going on in our town and we're going to, you know... We're going to do some theater to talk about it and see what we think about it and see what we want to do as a group, you know? So, yes, I think that that's a great theater is a great tool for that. Yes. So anyway, those are just like, you know, I I love sort of leaning on the ways that she describes the ways that performance can really be an in for people to be relating more deeply with each other. And so Mm -hmm. when I say theater director, I feel like it never quite expresses the you know, depth of the work that we're trying to achieve as artists. Well, I mean, at least the director, I would say, gets like a lot of credit, right? Because they create this whole vision and we know that it's through their direction that this is happening. Yep. Um, But everyone gets credit in their own way, except like, you know, some people, you know, it just feels like it's less towards the crew. But then I feel like once you've worked in that world, you understand that like nothing happens without the crew. Like literally the crew is holding everything together. Who you see is being held up by a whole nother team that is really making that happen. But, you know, you think about it, too, and you think about the circumstances we're in with COVID. And Mm -hmm. we think about how in so many ways this industry has collapsed. You know, people do not have their jobs. People are not working. And because, you know, theater 
uh, or the arts are not necessarily as central to the fabric of society, we're not being bailed out the way that other industries may be being bailed out right now, even though there are thousands and thousands and thousands of artists who are just out of work, right? And so I sort of feel like it's our job to bridge the gap between like, what actually can we be supporting artists to mobilize themselves to do in this time? Because we are worth so much more than just what our industry dictates of us when they shut us down, you know, because of, you know, obviously necessity in the world, right. To keep each other safe. But I just sort of feel like we can be using this time to be thinking about how we start to create a new sector for artists to see themselves, not just as people who are directing shows, but building deeper relationships with their communities, you know, with the businesses in their communities, with, you know, their family, with their friends, with people at the center of town square, right? What would it look like to activate public spaces, you know, on the other side of all this stuff again? Those are sort of the imaginings that that I sort of, you know, riff off of when I, when I, you know me, I'll, I'll, I'll go on and on and on. To be a theater artist is such a broad umbrella, right? Because like, for me, it's like, theater is not musicals. I, do not roll that route. I want to put that out there right away. Like when I speak of theater, I'm talking about plays being performed. I'm talking about theater in the streets. I'm talking about everyday people making art, poetry that then is then performed can be very theatrical, like all these things what I'm talking about. And that's the kind of work that I create. I'm by no means trying to be classical with my theater. Yeah. Except that it's raw and authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I feel like people have this idea of like, you know, theater is, musicals you know you have to sing dance and act and i'm just like "Mm -mm." well what's so interesting is that i i started you know in that perspective um you know for so long and uh, you know for some reason the universe has chosen to continue aligning me with commercial theater projects when yes. I really was so far away for that for probably the first 10 years of my career. I was doing grassroots community work. And now it's funny. I'm like watching. I'm now like on the directing team for American Repertory Theater's, you know, upcoming production of 1776, which will probably mm-hmm. come out on Broadway in 2022. Um, <laughs> but um, I have used my skills as an applied theater practitioner to devise original works with communities. And now I'm watching what it looks like to put on traditional musicals. And now I'm trying to sort of mash up those worlds for myself as a director, right? I'm hoping to create original musicals, right? Devise original musicals with the company. Agreed. Agreed. We just need a whole bunch of devised musicals all across the country talking about what's crazy, you know? I think that's what's crazy about musicals. Like the song, it just sometimes feels like the music is now. No, it's just a struggle with all the all three of them at the same time for me. But I do agree. If you can find authentic people who want to make a musical, you know, out of the theater, I think you can. Yeah. I just feel like it needs to feel right. Like I feel like sometimes just whip out music just to whip out music is not fun for me. Yes. 100%. You know, right. I want the next song to be like the next thing. Right. It should be the storytelling just in a musical form. Yep. 100%. Guys, I struggle with musicals. I'm just keeping it real. I did watch Hamilton. There's there's a lot, you know, it you know, it's just so funny that we're having this conversation because I am about to be um, a TA for a Harvard class that's about like how to make a musical. Right. Like, but it's talking about it's talking about how the American 
you know, commercial theater industry has created musicals and how those things get put up, right? So really looking at the nuts and bolts of what musical theater looks like within that, you know, sort of world. But, But yeah, I have to say that there is, for me, on the whole, this is not to say that there are not musicals out there that are thoughtfully political and provocative in ways that I find satisfying, because there are some that I do. But a lot of it is also very whitewashed. A lot of it is like, what am I really learning here? Like, why does it have to be, why does the message have to be watered down because it's musical theater Has, is sometimes how I've felt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see that that's starting to change. I think that like in our contemporary times, people are so ready to just like be real and raw and like use all their talents to express it. And sometimes those talents are as a composer or as a, you know, lyricist or as a singer or whatever, right? So Brisa, why'd you get into the arts? My parents, they were uh, choreographers of uh, folklorico, Mexican folk dance. So I'm I'm Chicana. I was born and raised in South Texas, 20 minutes from the border. My parents are of Mexican descent. And, you know, my dad was a migrant worker growing up. So, you know, this, this idea of like Chicano, Chicana identity um, was very much instilled in us because even, you know, the organization that... Uh, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta founded uh, Lupe is in my hometown region. And, you know, um, so they were very interested in what it would look like to bring authentic Pocorico dance to South Texas. And so they built up a dance major minor program at the University of Texas Pan American, which is now called University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. And they ran the company together. You know, my dad was the artistic director. My mom, essentially, the managing director. And, you know, they worked together for their whole lives. I watched them do it. And three out of the four of us, of my siblings, became artists because of it, you know. And they didn't even force us is the funny thing. They really sort of just let us go rampant when we were kids and do anything we wanted. But I think, yeah, there's just something about the energy that, like, sitting in a dark theater you know with the lights turned up on stage you know it just gets me every time (laughs) how did you know you wanted to be a director or did you start off as a director I just watched my dad you know I started as a dancer actually they put me in gosh man they put me in everything you could have imagined I was in ballet and tap and folklorico and flamenco and karate and jazz and gymnastics and soccer and basketball and track and you know like I would you know it was wild <laughs> there growing on I did not actually start doing directing even though that's essentially what my father did so I guess it makes sense that I would become a director but I tore my, uh, I had total knee reconstructions when I was in high school because I was playing basketball and was hoping to ultimately play, you know, college ball. And back to back years, I had like tore my ACL, everything, total knee reconstruction in both of them. Six, Six months of rehab for each knee. By the time I had hurt my second knee, I knew that like my basketball career was over. And so I needed something to do after school for my senior year. And so my sister, Aiset, who is an actress now, you know, in Chicago, was like, hey, I'm in a play. Why don't you just audition and we can be in the play together? And then I did. And it freaking kind of rerouted my life a bit, you know? That's 
That's crazy. Crazy. And, you know, the funny part is that my sister, when she was a freshman, I'm the reason why she got into theater because she was just hiding around, like, in the back, like, with, like, tech folks, right? Like, telling us that she was going out and auditioning. And I remember getting out of basketball practice early one time and, like, oh, let me go and check on her, see how she's doing. Found the theater director and was sort of like, hey, I'm looking for my sister. I think she hangs out around here and auditions. He's like, oh, well, she's never auditioned, but she does hang around here a lot. And I couldn't believe that she had lied to me. So I went and I got her aside. And I'm like, oh, I put your name on the list. Like, you're going to audition. She's like, no, that's not what I do. And now she's like this actress in Chicago. And then she was the one who ended up getting me into theater, you know, what, two, three years later. So just weird because my parents weren't even in theater they weren't (laughs) even they weren't even in theater they were in dance and then let me tell you that my parents productions became so much more theatrical once they started seeing plays that we were creating because they're like oh right dance theater you guys use a lot more set you guys use a lot more props you guys you know what we're gonna start you know what i mean so you start to see this like fun incorporation happen that's wonderful wow so brisa you know, you're an artist, you're describing your artistry. What is, what is your purpose with that? Oh, I think it's our job to question society and recreate the patterns that I think are really easy for us not to see when we kind of live in our own little bubble. Like theater gets the opportunity to zoom out look at the bigger picture and then ask yourselves, like, what does this have to do with me? Right? Like, what does this have to do with the people around me? You know, what is my function in this story that I'm watching unfold before me? Right? So, you know, I think our our job is to provoke, you know, I don't think it's just to entertain, at least for me. Um, I think it's to engage, to inspire, to motivate. And I don't think I've ever thought I mean, once I really started like choosing a discipline when I was in college, I don't think I really thought I would do anything different than this. Like I didn't really have any other plan. This was, I just always sort of felt like this is where I needed to be and what I needed to be doing. As you know, you know, I just met Laura and then it was all was possible. So once you think that you could do anything that you're special, I was like, of course I'm going to do this. And of course, like when you're young, people are like, what do you mean you're going to do arts, theater? Like, I feel like people view that as like a starving job, right? And it's like, I want to challenge that. Yes. It is to not be. There is definitely money to be made. And you just need to find it and definitely put that on your mindset. You know, like an artist is not meant to starve. You are making invaluable work. There is no price to what you bring to the table. So you should be well and take care of yourself and give yourself that you deserve as well as others you know it's such a giving um position and it's so important that you acknowledge that yes you're giving a lot and you want to that fills you but you also deserve yes yes i mean you know it makes me think about even the title of your show you know and talking about we we were throwing so many words around you know (laughs) yes worthy and valid and you know so much of this had to do I think with affirming who we are in the world and I think something that I'm excited that your podcast gets to achieve is you get to talk about what it means to be a woman what it means to be you know a black woman what it means to be Afro-Latina what it means to be there's so many opportunities here for us to 
use your artistry as our platform to think more about ourselves, you know, and there's no one I'd rather be supporting and, you know, putting her voice out in the world and asking us, asking us the hard questions and giving us some, <laughs> some pretty killer advice. You are too kind, Brisa, which is why I bring you on, just so you can do that. <laughs> no biggie. This JK. Yes. Okay. I think it's time I ask you our essential question. Brisa, what is that lesson that you just keep learning over and over and over again? Uh, I have to say mine is that... Your alone time is so sacred. Mm. Oh, I feel like I constantly, oh, I just constantly see myself learning this lesson and being upset that I've gotten back to a place where I'm not prioritizing myself in the ways that I should. The way that I know that I'm not doing well is when I'm overbooked. I think right before COVID hit, I was probably the most overbooked I had ever been. Like, I think I was probably doing something like 16 to 18 hour days and then still meeting up with a friend for a drink to probably talk about their work, you know? So it was like, it was just too much. And it's like, when my pocketbook is too full, you know, it's like, you know that something's up. You know that you're not giving yourself something, you know? Mm. Yeah, I hear that. And so I feel like I'll do good. I'll wipe the slate clean. I'll be like, I'm only going to say yes to projects that really align with where I'm at or they value my worth, you know, via compensation or the way that they show up and support for me, blah, blah, blah. Right. I can do all those things. I can clear up my, you know, my um, calendar. And then like I can find myself six months later right back to the same place because somehow I've just kind of like weaseled my way back to this place of just not prioritizing my aloneness. Even just in those in-between moments, like on social media, you think about it, right? Like you're sitting at, I mean, who, who's sitting at cafes now anymore? But like, you know, you're sitting at a cafe and, you know, are you going to just sit there for your food to come? Or are you going to pick up your phone? You know, like those little things, like even that is like your aloneness that like you're not giving yourself every time you pick up the phone. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do understand that. I, I, do try and it's mad hard to like not pick up my phone first thing in the morning yep um as like i feel like that's also like a part of that alone like be awake without your fucking phone it's mad hard and maybe 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 you and i are just in the struggle maybe everyone else is like it's not a big deal i totally would i am trying to get to y'all level but you see the generational difference even too right in younger people who are even more attached you just start to see the trend i mean hey look we're part of it too let's not lie millennials in here here we're definitely yeah we got a problem you know but but it's like you know what 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 is it going to take for us to prioritize that aloneness or what are is sort of escaping our midst because we're not doing it you know what i mean like that's what i wonder it's like oh god what am i losing in this process yeah i mean i think it's like starting small right we just have to do one thing at a time i am a i am a firm believer in one step at a time and honestly that is the only way i know how to do stuff because I don't know no other fucking way how to start. And also, if you think about all the steps, like, fuck that. That just feels overwhelming. Just take one That's step. right. Don't let your pride get you killed. Time. One step oh. at a time. <laughs> you got this. Thank you so much. Yes. I just gave you a point. Yes, yes, yes. So, 
Brisa, it has been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Um, obviously, the people will hear you throughout because you're my producer and we work very closely together. And you're who I bounce my ideas off of and who I'm so privileged and grateful to be working with. Um, thank you so much. Yes. Yo, I'm in the Bronx. Hear it. That was the perfect way to end our interview. Yes. And then we'll just blast it out into louder music. <laughs> the BXXXX. fabulous Brisa Arely Munoz, a.k.a. our producer. She'll be back for more. But I'm hoping that you got a good laugh, got some jewels, feeling good. Um, and please feel free to write in to us in case there's something you want us to discuss further or you have some questions or want to jump in. We'll include that info in the bio. And today's in today's segment of Let Me Put You On, speaking of artistry, this message is really for anybody who works at a deli, a restaurant, a food truck, anybody who works in the delivery of food, packaging and delivering of food, hot food for people to get, that people are ordering this from you and wanting to get this hot so they can take it home. So, as you know, eating in is kind of in and out at different places. We're eating in, we're not, we're eating outside, whatever. We're all ordering food all the time. I like to order french fries and tostones. Sometimes when I get food, I would say, for the most part, I'm a big tostones when I order from any Spanish-speaking Spanish spot, any Latin spot, Caribbean spot. You know, if you make tostones, I'm usually like, yeah, let's get a side of tostones or let's get tostones with our food. Or if you're getting, like, a burger, you probably want some fries, right? So you're an artist making this food, getting this together, getting this out to people, right? And then you're working on this fabulous customer service where you're showing people how to look at this food, how great it's going to be. You're doing all this marketing, all this, all this stuff, everything. And then you go to package it and you don't put a hole in the container. You don't release that steam that is going to sog up my sweet potato fries or my truffle fries or my regular decula fries or my tostones for that matter. Why? I want to eat your food as you intended. I want to taste those flavors. I want to get that crisp. I want to get that pop. And if you would just, for the life of everybody ordering, make a little hole in that container. Literally, all you have to do is pick a corner, crack, 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 make a little hole to let that steam out. Please, I beg you, this is your job. This is like finishing the order. People want to get their food hot and delicious. If not, people don't want to order or people will stop ordering certain things because it's like, it's going to be soggy. It's not going to be great. You're plotting and scheming. Should we drive and go get it? Should we walk to go get it? Should we wait for it? Do, do me, do us a favor. Put a little hole in the container. People, spread the word. Next time you order from your restaurant, your favorite restaurant, if you don't see that they're making this little crack in there, tell me, can somebody please make a little crack in the hole so the steam can come out? It's, your food's not going to get cold. She's going to let the steam out little by little, just a little bit, so that those things that we want to be crunchy and to have texture will have that texture. That's it. I mean, I don't, I don't want to go on forever, but that, that's what I need. In 2021, let's act like we want people to enjoy the food that we made in the way that we made it and intended for them to enjoy it. Let that steam out. 
put a little crack in the hole. Put a little crack in the container. That's all I ask for. Spread the word, my friends. Start enjoying your meals at home. That's it. <laughs> so all I got for you today on Let Me Put You On. I thought I would. I'm, it's, it's something clearly you could tell I really care about. But it's just a word. Just spreading it, right? We got to eat every day. Why not make it the best ever? With that said, thank you so much for joining us for a second episode of the Mad Valley Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Reina Erika. Hope to see you soon again next week for another episode. You can find me on IG, Reina Erika, Reina, R-E-Y-N-A-E-R-I-K-A. See ya. Thank you. Blessings. Have a great week. Thank you.